before they went into the promised land, he gave Joshua a really key rule. He said, no matter what, do this. And before we read Exodus, I want to read this out of Joshua 1, 1-9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Interesting. He tells them this is what you need to do if you're going to go into this new land. But why? Why was that such a big deal? See, the Israelites were in the desert. They'd been in the desert mostly by themselves for a long, long time. And they were getting ready to go into this new land. And this land was full of all kinds of unknown evil. Unknown. It was full of all kinds of false gods. It was full of deceitfulness. They were going into a world that was going to be full of hate and greed. They were getting ready to step into a world that was full of selfishness. You know, it's kind of like waking up every day and going to work. Or school. Or life. We wake up every day and we go into this world that is full of awful. And yet, right here, we see this little snippet where we're told that not only can we be successful in that world, but we're told to be strong and courageous. In fact, we're not just told to be strong and courageous, we're commanded to be strong and courageous. Well, how do we do that? Exodus 20, 1-3. Moses goes up. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Perfect. How about that? You shall have no other gods before me. What's interesting is as Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments, the rules and laws with which they were to live by. We don't know how long he was up there specifically, but he wasn't up there that long. But the Israelites already started stirring among themselves. We need something to worship. We need something. And so before Moses even came down to the Israelites, they had already come up with new false gods to worship. And Moses was like, are you kidding me? Like catching your kids in the pantry, your hand in the cookie jar? I wasn't doing nothing. That's happened at my house a lot. But that's the way people operate. 
we have this idea and mentality of if it's not here right now, we're going to get it for us right now. We're going to make it the way we want it. We're going to make it the way we want it to be. Because that's people's mentality. God knew that it was people's natural instinct to have something in their life that they give their life to. It's called purpose. He wrote it in our DNA when he, when he made us. He put purpose inside of us. And so if we're not giving our life to God, we give it to something. And essentially what God was saying right here to Joshua was He said, if you were going to make it in this new land, if you're going to make it in this world, if you're going to make it in this life, you shall have no other gods besides Me. And He leaves it at that. And so we're going to touch on the Lordship of Christ today. And what does that mean and what does it look like for Jesus to really have Lordship in our life? Especially when we live in this world where there's lots of stuff for us to give our life to, our time to, our energy to. Why is it a fundamental of Christianity that Jesus is our Lord? In fact, Jesus even said this in Luke 10.3. He said, Go, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. What does that mean? We're going to be in a world, whether we like it or not, that's tough. That's not easy. That doesn't come without a fight sometimes. But, if we have no other gods before us, not only can we be strong and courageous, but we, maybe we can be successful. I feel like I could do a 10-part sermon series on just this, but I want to talk about two quick little points today on why it's so important for us to have the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Number one is this. No matter what it is, everyone serves a master while only Jesus offers salvation. Oh, when I was 17, 18, 19, really got into uh, working out in the gym. You can tell, right? I would go to the gym twice a day. I was eating calorie drinks and just a dozen eggs a day. and I went from 135 pounds to 175 pounds. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Now it's really easy. I can put on weight like that. But uh, there was this guy in the gym, and he was intense, and I would see him all the time. He's one of those guys who was so, like, ripped. He looked like a, a, a balloon animal, just tight little, you'd see him in front of the mirror. He would never talk or anything. He was really into what he was doing. One day, he was walking by me, and I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And he looks at me like he was the Hulk, and he goes, pain, the same thing I feel every day. Have you tried less brand? <laughs> that little interaction, I listened to him, I caught that, and I went, wow. This thing is everything that he is. And then I started to look at myself in the mirror. And I was like, you know what? This thing is becoming a God to me. I am serving this more than I should be serving God. And I started actually backing off from that. But 2 Peter 2.19 says, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slave to depravity. For a man is slave to whatever has mastered him. And a lot of us can think, well, I don't serve false gods. I don't serve Dagon or Baal or Molech or Diana. I'm not a pagan. Quick little side story. I'm coming out of one of our local businesses about three months ago. This caught me so off guard. 
And two of the employees were on their break and they're having a nice conversation with each other. And the one younger gal said to the older gal in reference to another person, she said, he is such a well-respected warlock in our community. And I was like, let's break that down. Well-respected devil worshiper community. Those things don't add up. But we can all go, I'm not that guy. I don't do that kind of stuff. But in Luke 14, Jesus said this. He said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you can't love your parents or your wife or your children more than me. In other words, what he was saying is you can't have anything in your life that's more important than me. If you want to really do this. That means whatever has taken the position of most importance in our life is our master. While only Jesus offers salvation. It could be money. We've all been in that spot maybe once or twice. Where money is what our life is about. Being successful. Because it's important, right? It could be our body. That we'd look like a balloon animal and be angry all the time. Uh, It could be our mind and our philosophy. It could be our lifestyle of recreation. Don't got time for church. Don't got time for Jesus. I got to go fishing. Yeah. It could be our education. Education's important. And a lot of times we make that all that we are. It could be food. It could be our habits, our time. It could even be church. That church is our master, not Jesus Christ. Because what we do is we turn church into a religious experience of things that we do instead of about having a life-changing relationship or encounter with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. We make it about stuff, not Him. God was sending the Israelites into a land where they were going to be surrounded by gods, by things they could give their life to. They were going to be in a land where things would captivate them and be intriguing. Just like waking up every day and going to work and living life. They were being sent into this land. And isn't that like our own salvation? That we're saved from slavery and sin and death and we're sent back into this world that demands our attention? And how are we supposed to function in that? Go right back to that commandment. And Jesus even said this, echoing what Moses said, He gave us the great commandment in Matthew 22, 37. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Do that, and you're going to make it. Do that, and there's going to be purpose and impact. And that takes us to this next one. And there's a, a million points I think we can go off of this. Another reason why it's such a fundamental to Christianity that Jesus Christ has lordship in our lives is this. Because of the goodness that God planned to come from our lives. The goodness. I was thinking about this. What are the things I'm scared of? I'll be halfway honest here. I don't want to tell you all the stuff I'm scared of. But I'm scared of avalanches. I'm scared of lightning. 
I'm being very vague. I am scared of spiders. Got an amen. <laughs> I'm scared of hippies. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not scared of spiders. Okay, I am kidding again. I really don't like spiders. I mean, eight legs, eight eyes, bangs, hair. They got hair. Oh, but spiders are good. They eat bugs. That's great. Why doesn't it knock on my door and say, Hi, sir, I'm here to eat some bugs. I'll be polite. I won't be weird or creepy. That'd be fine. But they are... I'll, I'll squish them. I'll smash them. I'll help the kids when they scream. Eh, I'll go and... But inside, I'm a wreck. Because, ooh, spiders. But why did I say hippies? Because we can all say, Oh, interesting. And some of us are like, Yep, good times. Good times. But I say hippies because I'm talking about maybe someone who might make us uncomfortable. And they don't make me uncomfortable. But what happens is this. We tend to stay away from the things that scare us. We shy away from the things that make us uncomfortable. We like to be in our comfort zone. We don't like to be around people that are different from us. It's normal. When we were doing youth ministry, I think I may have shared this before, our heart for youth ministry, and I love that Community Church has that same heart, and, and I feel like this heart echoes off of exactly what Jesus said, but we knew if we were going to grow a healthy, successful youth ministry, we couldn't be like all the other youth groups that, oh, get the popular kids, get the cool kids, get the sports kids. We knew we had to go after the least of these. And if we went after the least of these, God was going to give us all the rest. And you know what? It worked. Funny dynamic. You honor God in Scripture with your ministry and it works, right? Uh, we had this really great worship team. Student-led worship team. We had professional musicians from our community who would come and train these guys. We had it was, it was fantastic. And the reason why that was so important was when a high school or middle school student could be out in the audience and they could see their peer from school up there leading them in worship, it broke down all the walls for them. Totally broke them down. I love that we have the same dynamic here. So one night after youth group, this kid comes walking up to me. And he'd been coming for about six months. He would only talk to him if you engaged him. He, wasn't, he was a bit of a wallflower. He was one of those kids that you would overlook in a heartbeat because he just he wasn't cool. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, I got a question. I said, sure, Ross, what's up? He goes, I'd like to try out to be on the worship team. I went, okay, well, let's see, Ross, let's go down the list. I know you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I know that you read your Bible and I know that you pray. Check. Okay. Ross, you come to church, you're pretty consistent, uh, and you have a good reputation with your peers. Check again. Tell you what, Ross, why don't you come next week? What do you play, by the way? Because if it's a tuba, it might not work. Uh, so he's like, oh, guitar. I'm like, okay. So he comes to practice the next week. I said, come, try out. We'll see if you're ready yet or not, and we'll 
try to fit you in. So the whole worship team's there, and you're talking to a bunch of talented people and adults. He plugs in his guitar and, you know, warms up for a second, and all of a sudden, Eric Clapton came out. This kid was incredible. I mean, everyone's jaw was on the floor. Where did this come from? And then he starts to sing. And it wasn't like singing. It was worship. And you could tell that it was coming from the, like the depth of his heart. Well, Ross got on the worship team. And pretty soon, Ross was leading the worship team. And he was writing music with his peers to lead his other peers from, from school. And then something else started to happen. Um, Ross's sister started to come to church. And then Ross's mom and dad, who were really successful business owners from Grand Junction, started coming to church. And Ross would bring his friends. He, I think, is one of the students that I remember who invited probably more friends than anyone, probably 30 or 40 friends this kid ended up inviting that became consistent mainstays at church. Ross got on the adult worship team at 14 years old, leading tons of adults. And the coolest part about it was I asked him one day, I said, Ross, where did that come from? There's no offense, you're kind of like a quiet guy. And he goes, you know, I've always played my guitar. And I was sitting in my room one day playing video games. And I looked over and I saw my guitar in the corner. And I heard God say, put down your video game. Pick up that guitar. And I'm going to use you. And he goes, and I, I think God is. And I'm like, here's a 14-year-old kid who recognizes God using him because he, 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 he put something down and he stepped forward. There is a goodness that God desires to come out of your and I's life that flows into others. That the people you and I work with experience the goodness of God. The people that we see at Mocha sit next to us. The people that we pass in the streets. There's a goodness of God that comes out of you. When we set down whatever that idol is, and we make Jesus our Lord, when we allow that Lordship in our life, it comes out of you and it blesses everyone around you. And I'll close with this verse, Jonah 2.8. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, if Jesus is the only one who offers salvation, I think I want to serve some, someone or something that gives me eternal life, that gives back. And I don't want to give that grace and throw it in the trash. I don't want to do that. We're going to close with a hymn. Well, I'm going to pray first. But after the hymn, there's going to be people up here that would love to pray for you or talk to you or listen to you if, if you need prayer for something. Maybe if Jesus hasn't been the Lord of your life and you want to maybe make Him the Lord of your life and ask Him in your heart. Maybe you've been giving up your life to silly things and you kind of lost sight of that. There's going to be people up here that want to talk with you about it and pray with you about it. Or if you know someone that needs prayer for anything, don't miss that opportunity. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much 
that You are the Lord of our lives. That You have given us salvation and freedom and redemption. That You've called us, Lord, to Your kingdom. And I would pray for every one of us, including myself, Lord, that we would continue to lay down those silly things that distract us from You. Maybe those things that become our master when we don't intend them to. And we ask, God, that You would be our master. That You would captivate our lives, our hearts, our thoughts, our minds. And we ask, God, for anyone in here that maybe needs a little special extra something, that today they would hear that, that they would ask for it, and that they would receive it. In Jesus' name. Let's close with this last hymn.